0: In the 80s, there were a lot of sci-fi and fantasy movies soaring to the big screen. Worlds of wonder and fantastical things were plenty at the theater, but what would happen when one movie decided it wanted to be both a fantasy film and a sci-fi film? Throw in the coolest fidget spinner ever and you have a hit, right? Well, maybe not, but we're here to prove to you that *Crawl* is not that bad. <laughs> Welcome, welcome, one and all to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A, great in B, movies. And I have to admit that when we started this podcast, there were a few movies that mentally I had put on my list of movies that needed to be defended. And we are now here to discuss one of those films because we are talking about 1983's film crawl and here to defend a movie from my childhood is the woman of my dreams my lovely wife carrie carrie how are you doing
1: oh <laughs> <laughs> you changed it up <laughs> i did
0: well well you i didn't want it to feel like you know, you know hit the auto auto uh, fill button there but no
1: It's because I called you out on it, isn't it? Uh,
0: Might be. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Now, okay. So I have to admit that growing up, this film, when it was on like, you know, first choice super channel, like those, those movie channels back in the day, I watched it ad nauseum. I had the book. I wish I had the glaive. So, when I begged you, I mean, mentioned this movie to you, um, what were your thoughts on Crawl? Had you ever seen it before we watched it for this show?
1: Okay, I admit, 40 years later.
0: Also, this film is 40 years old.
1: I saw it for the first time last night. Um, keeping in mind, okay, I'm not going to say how old I was, but I could count on one hand how old I was when it was released. So...
0: So, are you feeling old yet?
1: Oh, with that said, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I. So, seeing it for the first time last night um, with an open mind and an open bag of potato chips, <laughs>
0: <laughs> the popcorn was actually popped. We actually had popcorn for this; it was good. <laughs> but it, it's funny. This is one of those movies where I, I'm not gonna lie. Going into it, I was a little trepidatious. Because there are things from our childhood that we hold in high regard as like the coolest ever, and then when you go back and watch it, you know X number of years later, you sit there and go, "My God, I was a stupid kid," and I was worried that this movie was going to be one of those. Like I, I know going into the Gem and the Holograms episode, you I was were gonna say you A.K.A. Were,
1: Gem, right? You
0: were a little <laughs> trepidatious, but the thing is, that wasn't. You know, it wasn't a direct remake of the original cartoon, but but even going back to watching those old cartoons from your from your heyday, from your growing up days, going back and watching it, did was it a bit of a shock as to why did you think it was that good? For Jim? Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but then, you know, also the Smurfs, uh, which is iconic, you know, and that love for the tiny two apple high blue Three people. apple high three apples high <laughs> do, um do, i love my smurfs
0: don't de-apple our smurfs here
1: <laughs> well you know five foot nothing um, <laughs> everyone's taller than i am even the smurfs um yeah for gem and the holograms for sure um re-watching the cartoons i was like hmm well okay um yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good times.
0: Yeah, I mean, also on Tubi, by the way, uh, I kind of had this thing too. Like, growing up, I used to watch Mask, you know, the the Mobile Armored Strike Command, uh, like that cartoon, and that cartoon is now on Tubi as well. And I remember going back and like, oh, cool, Mask is on, and then I watched a few episodes. I'm like what smoke was I cracking when I was a kid <laughs> to think that this was cool? What was I thinking? Right? I mean, I have no problem sitting there saying, yeah, I'll go back and watch an 80s Transformer cartoon any day of the week. I'll even go back and watch G.I. Joe. There, there are certain cartoons I'll go back and watch you know, no matter what. Yeah, Mask was not one of them. But I was worried about that with Krull because I remember being so enamored with this film like the fact again the fact that i had the book as well like you know it was cool and then you were like oh it qualifies okay we're gonna defend it oh what if it's not as cool as i remember and that was that was the mindset going into it
1: and i'm here to ask you did it deliver
0: well you know what before we get into that.
1: Oh, he won't answer the question, friends. Well, I th- I'm curious now.
0: We, we we have the the crowd that's you know brimming with Antissa patient. <laughs> <laughs> Rocky horror fans are now sitting there going, I approve. Yes. I approve. But before we determine whether Krull lived up to my my young childhood hype, it's time to take this 1983 sci-fi fantasy epic. And trailerize it.
2: Crawl. It is a world of knights and warriors, princesses and wizards, of noblemen on mighty steeds. The only thing missing is an alien horde that screeches worse than Starscream, led by a demon lord with a serious case of pink eye. Ken Marshall is calling. A dashing warrior who was race to save his bride-to-be Lissa from the beast. A monster so generic, they didn't even bother giving it a name. In his quest, he'll use the glaive, the bastard-throat child of a ninja throwing star at a fidget spinner. But he'll only use it once, thereby making it as used as the average modern-day fidget spinner. Grab your swords and spears It's time to storm the fortress And crawl Rated PG For precious glaive
0: Um, How many times did I say glaive During that whole thing (laughs) Like this This was one of the things right this was The glaive is one of the Coolest weapons In sci-fi and fantasy Films in my opinion Of all time
1: I would say you said it as many times as he tried to use the Jedi force to release it from (laughs) being stuck in that gooey substance. Which which
0: is about three times, I think. But, But I mean, there's the thing though, right? Like back in the day, you know, you could always tell it was either you had the coolest ship or you had the coolest weapon. You know, not every film got to be Star Wars and have the coolest ship and the coolest weapon. But the Glaive is was so iconic. It was even in Ready Player One when that movie came out. Like, that's that's how much of an icon of 80s cinema that one weapon is. The rest of the movie, most people will be like, oh, Krull- uh, it's, uh, the, the, there were aliens and, and guy with a sword. But there was the Glaive.
1: Was it not one and the same, though, from the opening sequence?
0: Mm-hmm. Was
1: it not... A ship flying through the sky, so, or was it?
0: So that was that was the Black Fortress, and not it, to scale. Not not to scale. No, that was the Black Fortress, and the Black Fortress came to crawl to conquer the planet, and then it would, you know, magically appear and disappear into different parts. So, you know, for a ship that has teleportation power, apparently, apparently they have to fly their coach to get to the planet, but, but huh. yeah, exactly. Oh, the, there's a few things where we have to sit there and go. Hmm, there there was an easier way to write around this.
1: I clearly needed the Coles Notes version or to (laughs) have read the book.
0: I think I still have the novel kicking around somewhere, like the the, the adapted screen, actually written by Alan Dean Foster. So it's possible I still have that. But let's get into who's in this film. This film stars Ken Marshall, Lizette Anthony, Freddie Jones, Alan Armstrong, a young Liam Neeson, a younger Robbie Coltrane, Bernard Breslau, David Batley, and John Welsh. Uh, it should be noted, though, that Lizette Anthony's voice was actually overdubbed by Lindsay Krause. and you know apparently for a more American accent and Robbie Coltrane's voice was also overdubbed by Michael Alvick. but I would it's funny he actually nailed Robbie Coltrane's Yes apparently according Mind
1: to blown. according
0: to IMDb right <gasps> this film is directed by Peter Yates it's actually the only fantasy film he's ever directed uh he also directed Bullet by the way this film however did get some acclaim at the saturn awards that year it was nominated for best fantasy film it lost to something wicked this way comes james horner who was the score composer for this film was nominated three times that year at the saturn awards for best music from a film it was this and then it was something wicked this way comes both of those lost ...to his eventual win for Brainstorm. So it's like, spin the wheel, you have three chances to, to win James Horner. This is, you know, Krull was not the one he won for... ...even though I think the score is actually quite epic in this. I was actually really enjoying the music. Um, also, Anthony Mendelsohn, uh was nominated for Best Costumes for this movie. He lost to Return of the Jedi. At the Avoria's International Fantastic Film Festival... ...Peter Yates was nominated for the Grand Prize that year. Did not win... However, however, this film, Krull, piece of my childhood, won the worst picture award at the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards in 1983.
1: So. What was it up against?
0: Uh. I know Porky's 2 was one of them. Like, I, in looking at the list, I'm like, "Crawl is so much better than all of these. Not, not in, a, in a bad movie way, but in a good movie way. Like, how, I don't know how you have a film that's nominated for Best Fantasy Film at the Saturn Awards, admittedly not win, but then win the Worst Picture Award at the Stinkers, which, I don't know, part of it might have been the budget.
1: Could it also not have been the ridiculousness of... I, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd
0: call it ridiculousness per se. That's
1: I'm, a great word, by the way. Good <laughs> word usage. It is good word it's usage. It's gooder word usage. <laughs>
0: your, your English fine is much better, much gooder. <laughs> but I mean... Okay, let's call this out right now before we get to the the budget and uh, the the critic score because this will kind of lead into this. Yes, this film is very much almost uh, cut and paste from the hero's journey the hero's journey of course being you know the 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 standard of storytelling that so many fantasy and sci-fi films have taken in order to be able to write their script i mean star wars is the hero's journey you know you could take a look at legend as being the hero's journey like this is definitely the hero's journey like almost cookie cutter like you know remove template name add add you know name with no vowels you know that's kind of how it feels and yes you know, some critics and some, some trace people at the time basically called this Excalibur meets Star Wars, and they're not wrong in that. It it does feel almost like they took a look at the films that did well in both genres, said, okay, well, we're going to take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, and 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 Frankenstein it together into one movie and, you know, make it a quest. It's formulaic.
1: Do you know what it made me think of? Is Robin Hood... Um,
0: Men in tights? Men
1: in tights, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you said that because
0: it it hit my mind too. Oh
1: my God. Yep. (laughs) Get out of my head. We're
0: men, we're men in tights, tights, tights.
1: (laughs) But you know what? And that's, I think, part of the charm of it is that, sure, you know, it could have been a quest movie. mm
0: mm-hmm. um, Which it was. Taken
1: very seriously. No, but... It, it's a, but it's a quest it with a MacGuffin. Fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, there's the thing. It's a quest. You use the MacGuffin to finish the quest. You get the girl. You save the day. It's,
1: you know, it's... a it's, it, Princess Bride. Uh,
0: to but a point. not as much. Not as much. I mean, yes, the Men in Tights reference, Ken Marshall kind of reminds me of Carrie Elway's in Robin Hood Men in Tights so that's that's exactly I mean yes I can see a bit of the Princess Bride as far as the quest goes Um, there's there's a few other movies that come to mind like Clash of the Titans Clash of the Titans is very much a, you know, solo adventurer gains companions along the way in order to, you know, get a MacGuffin that will help slay the beast and save the day so he can get the girl and save save her from the Yeah, like it
1: it's rinse, repeat. It's formulaic. It, exactly.
0: But there's also something very comfortable in that formula. That's why these films constantly get made. Um, but that being said. At the time, this was a very expensive film to make. This Remember, these are 1983 numbers, okay? 19, 40 years old this year. Ugh. Film had a budget of $47 million with only a worldwide gross of $16 million. So, big money loser, especially in 1983 dollars. When it debuted... On the July 29th, 1983 weekend, it debuted at number four, according to Box Office Mojo, with under $6 million take, about $5.5 That's number four. Debuting at number one that weekend was National Lampoon's Vacation. Um, and number two was Jaws 3D. And at number three, in its 10th week in the theaters was Star Wars Return of the Jedi also debuting by the way that that uh, that weekend was private school that debuted at number six with 4.4 million dollars but over at the old critic shop here this film has a meta score of 45 and at Rotten Tomatoes it has an audience score of 52% which kind of falls in the line with the fact that this has been it's become a bit of a cult classic but the tomatometer is actually thirty percent, and you're probably looking at me like uh, that—that's higher than you expected it to be. But of those numbers, just initially, thirty percent, fifty-two percent. Which one do you do you relate to more? Before we get into the breakdown,
1: I agree with the audience. I think it was sitting around a solid fifty.
0: Mm-hmm. Like it's—it's not—it's not a bad film. By any stretch of the imagination,
1: you no. Know, it depends, I think, on your expectation going into it.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's the thing too. Like this is the kind of film where if you're a kid and you don't pick apart movies like some basement idiots do, critics, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, or basement idiots like us, you know, it's a cool film. It's a really cool film when you're a kid.
1: I would have loved for our boys to have watched it. They refused, by the way. They. Mm. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. They declined. Our boys have no cinematic taste whatsoever. They'll be like, "Yeah, we're going to watch a movie for a oh, podcast." Oh, you did.
1: Uh, <laughs> they're going to listen to this one and they're going to be like, "Dad!" Oh. oh, oh, oh I, I'm I'm going to play it. I'm going to play it for them. Oh, oh, you are. All right.
0: Oh, well, well you know, oh. Ne- next time <laughs> you sit down and you watch the crawl with us, okay? And then we'll see what you think of it. <laughs>
1: My price? Concert tickets. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, their price? Popcorn. That's the only way they'll get to watch a movie with yeah. You want to come watch a movie with us? Will there be popcorn? No? See you. Bye. That's pretty much the way the boys That's go. That's
1: exactly how it goes. It
0: is, it is. It's so bad. Okay. So let's get to the breakdown of this film. We love you kids. We really do. Yeah.
1: But we just yeah, have to bribe you to
0: ex- spend exactly. time with us. We will feed you one kernel every five minutes to get you through the entire movie. That's how much popcorn you get.
1: Oh, ration the popcorn might work mm. might
0: work be cheaper at the theaters that's for sure
1: we'll get them to use a spoon
0: <laughs> because it hurts more
1: chopsticks
0: <laughs> can you imagine trying to you know popcorn chopsticks especially once you get the butter on them too and all that
1: that would be brilliant thank you she hulk
0: yeah okay okay
1: the cheesy idea was absolutely brilliant
0: oh it absolutely was unless you're clumsy with the chopsticks then you're breaking every cheesy in half also thanks she hulk but yeah yeah it
1: makes me wonder how she hulk didn't like completely smash the
0: do you think she hulk gets pissed off with herself when she can't actually work the chopsticks to get the uh the 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 cheesy and then hulks out because she can't get the cheesy with the with the chopsticks
1: well it was before she was she hulk
0: Uh, yeah i know but uh, try it now Mm. Mm. Okay, so let's get to the breakdown of this film. Yeah, we digress here. Um, Ken Marshall, who played Colwyn, the hero of the film, how was he for you?
1: You know what? I, I thought he was, um, I don't know, like, he was okay. Um, he was, obviously, um, he caught the eye of the princess. Um but I didn't find that he was really all that special, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a
0: tad ineffectual. <laughs> a tepid.
1: I mean, you know what though? Um, to his credit, um, he was an excellent fighter, which mm-hmm. would apparently make him a bad husband. But he did go through quite a lot to uh, yeah, save I- his his you know newlywed wife. So. Um, I, I just have to say, though, it's it's like a full-scale invasion on your wedding day. Mm. That's ironic. Don't you think? <laughs> Thanks, I, Alanis. I mean,
0: here's the thing. Like, he is almost the picture-perfect person of what an 80s swashbuckling hero would look like. Right, I you know, agree. Yeah, you know, he's got the beard. He's got the the flow with the hair, and the shirt's open to show off the chest hair. Like, like he looks like and your typical. Abs. Oh, yeah. well, he actually apparently trained quite a bit for this, including horse riding and fencing, and tried to pattern his portrayal of Colwyn after Errol Flynn. And you really see a lot of that, especially when the Slayers first attack the castle and they take uh, Lissa away. He clearly put in the work he did and you know in going back and again this is where like the the fear of the rewatch comes in where it's like i love this film as a kid oh crap i'm gonna dissect it now and i'm probably not gonna like it as much as i did um we'll get there in a bit but there's the part where he breaks down because lissa is gone and the old man's about to leave him behind because well, you know there's the line that uh that Ineer says it's uh, you know I I came to find a king I found nothing but a but a child and it's like a little overacty there but through the whole thing there's there's a swagger to Colwyn and it's not like he's. He's very much a, in this film, Saturday morning, swashbuckling. Um, you could see this portrayal almost in, like, the old black and white serials of, like, the old, like, Flash Gordon that they used to have at the at the theaters. Like, it's a classic cinema performance in a modern-day fantasy sci-fi film. And I think if you, if you go into it thinking... Know like the old Flash Gordon serials, you're going to see a really good inspiration out of this. It's 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 like a swashbuckling Flash Gordon, and I kind of don't hate that on this.
1: I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think he he did he did well with it. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: it's for the genre. It makes sense. Like you you could see him with that look being tapped to do like more. You know, romantic drama films in the '80s, like that kind of stuff. But, but he brought a very debonair air to Colwyn, and given the the sweeping orchestra and the landscape and the, you know, the grandioseness of the of of the concept of the storyline and the setting that they've they've placed the world of Crawl in, he kind of fits it well. You know, we we kind of joked a little bit about Carrie Elwes, but. I did. I really didn't hate Ken Marshall in this as Colwood. Let's move on to Lizette Anthony, who, of course, played Lissa. Now, by the way, if the name Lizette Anthony uh, doesn't ring a bell to you, I'm going to make a very Canadian reference here because we are a Canadian podcast. But if you want to know who Lizette Anthony is, you need to go to the music videos of Brian Adams back in the reckless days because she's the girl in summer of 69. She's the girl in heaven. She's the girl in run to you. So yeah, Lizette Anthony was a video girl for Brian Adams in like 84 (laughs) and 85. That's awesome. Right? You know, Canadian represent here. Um,
1: I have
0: thoughts on Lissa, but I want to hear what you thought about Lizette Anthony first.
1: I thought she was adorable. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I absolutely love her hair.
0: Right? Like, um.
1: Yeah. No, she, she was so great. Like, I just thought she was, um, oh, she was so great. She was just so t- like engaging mm-hmm. as the princess.
0: Yeah. I mean, she's studying in the role, right? But I have issues with the role Oh. and none of them are Lizette Anthony's fault. And for the record, in interviews that she has given since this movie has come out um, and things that she has said about the uh, the role in the making of the film, I think she agrees with me too. So hopefully she does. But hear me out on this one here. You have this film coming out the same year as Return of the Jedi, where you've got Princess Leia, who is one of the most badass Female movie characters of all time. Agreed. You know, helping lead the 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 raid party on the, the 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 forest moon of Endor, right? Kicking ass and taking names in a metal bikini on Jabba's palace ship, right? Like Princess Leia is awesome, and here you have Lissa who at, at first, I'm like, okay, cool. So she is defying her father's wishes in choosing to marry Colwyn because she knows that the union between the the, the two armies will be able to rise up against the, the slayers. And even when when trying to flee, she's making sure that the, the her, her guards have swords and all to fight this. Like at first, I'm like, okay. Yes, it's a bit more of a, um, you know, almost like a like a medieval themed type world kind of thing where everything is very knights and princesses and all that kind of stuff. But they straight up damseled her. Like there I is disagree no, right no, there. no, no, no. Hear me out on this okay. one here. Okay, like she could have done so much more to fight the beast instead of just running through endless cool looking corridors. And even her arguments with the Beast you know of when Colwyn is being tempted by you know the, the the changeling that is sent to 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 sway him and and try to tempt him it's they could have given her so much to give her a much more badass you know like strong character because oh, it, it felt they she, did okay I, I want to hear your take on this because I I know Liz that Anthony. One of the things she has said about this film is that she felt like her character wasn't given enough to do.
1: Okay. First of all, they didn't damsel her because she was a strong, independent woman. Although she was a princess, when, when she, she was defied, captured,
0: Once she was captured, she damseled.
1: Okay. But let's start from the start. She defied her father's wishes mm-hmm. and married the man that she wanted
0: to well, try marry. To,
1: try to who, marry. Okay effectively they did it was Mm -hmm. just interrupted thanks you know opposing army of slayers yeah um however i think that seeing the vision of her new newlywed husband
0: of colwyn yep
1: in in the arms of another woman she was strong and she was she was she was strong and confident enough to know that it was just a vision mm-hmm. and it was just a trick. it was it was meant to upset her or to try and crush her her love for him. It didn't. And she held her own. She held her own even in spite of um i mean if if you have like a manipulative monster trying to mind you um she she held her own and good honor
0: but what was it with films in the 80s where demonic looking creatures tried to get the girl because the same thing happened in legend darkness wanted lily the beast wants wants lissa like
1: i mean even from the scene where um he does go and and save her You know, like, she's still very much like... She's not like, oh, my prince. She's still very strong.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I guess the thing, too, is that... You know, let's compare it to Legend. And, yes, I recognize the Legend came out, like, two years after this film. But let's compare it to Legend for a second here. In that, darkness sought Lily because of of loneliness. And, you know, it, it wasn't to try to take over the world the the beast seemingly wanted you know lissa because reasons like there there seemed to be no rhyme or reason why the slayers would kidnap lissa to begin with and then it's like the beast going you will be mine like that's give us a more backstory what is it about lissa that makes the beast want her to marry her what is it about the beast that needs a companion like this like to my understanding and again it's been a long time since i read the book as and they didn't really cover it in the film so the black fortress shows up the slayers branch out kill everyone that they can take over the world and they move on sure okay what does he take a wife on every planet is this you know is he taking, trying to take Lissa for his own because of the power that she may have in being able to get, take the fire from the water and give it to her? Like, what what's going on? Like, I need more, and I don't think Lissa was flushed out enough beyond um, beautiful princess who is going to marry her husband. Yes, you were right in that. You know, at first Lissa is very strong. The second half of the film does her no favors.
1: I do agree that I would have liked to have seen her fight a bit more.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but, I mean, that aside, you know, like, she also doesn't want to die, right? So, um, I think being a princess and knowing that you have guards and as long as you're making sure they're armed, which she did, um, I, I, I think I, I think the rule was perfectly suited. Um, as far as why her Um, would it maybe not to take over the kingdom is that not
0: but the but then the question is like are there no women on colwyn's side of the planet like it's i get reasons i understand it but i mean let's be honest aside from you know the 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 widow of the web and the occasional or the many wives of, of liam neeson in this you know we don't really see many female characters so i mean i guess maybe royalty whatever the case may be and we also don't know how long the black fortress has been on crawl at this point in time because all we see is the black fortress land and then all of a sudden everyone's like oh we gotta get married because we need to combine the armies and fight the slayers so it kind of skips a little bit of backstory there hello
3: pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds our family now has three pairs of raycon earbuds around the house and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price and yes she loves them now if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of raycons
1: Go to PantheonPodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit
2: that button to be
1: entered to win.
2: And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package.
1: And guess what, Rockers? You can enter every month, so just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S.
0: Uh, let's move on to Freddie Jones. As near the old man who comes down from the hill to help crawl... You know, fi- find his way to the Black Fortress. How was uh, Freddie Jones for you?
1: He was good. He was so, you know what, um, what an enjoyable actor.
0: Mm-hmm. He played
1: it very well.
0: I mean, he's very much the Obi Wan mm-hmm. in this film. Like, you're going to hear a lot of Star Wars references because Star Wars and Crawl are very much cut from the same hero's journey cloth. Um, I, I do I love I love Freddie Jones in this I think he's great.
1: How is he all knowing though?
0: Well, I mean that's the there's the thing, right? This is why I I mentioned that you know I'm talking about Lissa that the Black Fortress just comes down. We don't know how long the Black Fortress has been there, so we don't know if the Slayers and the Beast know about the political hierarchy of the different kingdoms on Crawl. Yenneir comes down. From the mountain, apparently, this is what Crawl says. Oh, sorry, this is what uh, Colwyn says, in <clears throat> because he saw the fight. He saw it was time for him to to find the king and to and to go to the black fortress and stop the slayers and and save Crawl the planet. And you know, he knows a lot about them. Like he seemingly knows a lot. Period, but. There's no... All, all they tell him is he's the old man from the mountain. So it's, you know, how long have the Slayers been there?
1: Why did he not rescue his wife? He just left her there. Okay. He took the time and ran.
0: Okay. So I actually have an answer for this one there. Okay. He didn't save her. She saved him. Let me explain. Okay. So, by the way, um, movie's 40 years old. So, spoilers like a... If you haven't figured that one out already. But so when Yunir goes to see the Widow of the Web, whose name is also Lissa, so now we know where Batman versus Superman got that plot hole from. Um the spider is going to is trying to get Yanir before he can make it to the widow. So she turns the time, you know, the, the 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 time sands over. So the spider cannot move when the sands are falling. He makes it to her home in the web before the last sands fall. The spider can't get him. He's safe there, right? So when she breaks the hourglass and pours the sand into Ynir's hands, So long as the sands are falling, the spider cannot hurt him. So she gives him the sands knowing that the spider will then attack her once he leaves. So she actually saves him by giving him the sands. But the thing is, by taking the sand in his hand, the last sand in his hand, once it falls, also means his life. So... In essence, she saved him, not he saved her. She helped him help Colwyn stop the Slayers. So basically, she's, you know, very critical in in their reasoning in order to be able to get to uh, the Black Fortress. Now, that being said, apparently in an early draft of the script, um, Colwyn comes in to actually save Yanir from the spider by using the glaive. Um, but that scene apparently was removed, meaning we only got the, 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 the one time usage of the glaive. So originally, I guess there was more to that scene, but he really was like super, super sweet in that scene. Like the, to see the pain on his face, knowing that he had to, you know, here's the widow of the web telling him that they had a child. She had to get rid of the child and her punishment was to be trapped by this spider.
1: Okay. Side note, that spider was creepy AF.
0: Oh, but the thing is, if you were a fan of movies like Clash of the Titans, like it's a very Ray Harryhausen-esque kind of stop motion animation. It was creepy as hell and I freaking loved it.
1: And if you have arachnophobia, do not watch this movie.
0: Oh, absolutely. Like, I loved Clash of the Titans growing up. I absolutely did. It was it, it is and still is one of my favorite classic 80s films of all time. I'm pretty sure I think it came out in 1980. Like, I loved that film and watched that film over and over again on Super Channel and First Choice. God bless our movie networks. But this was very much akin to that Ray Harryhausen-esque giant monster stop-motion animation, you know, dealing with um, actual live actors it was so cool and it's designed so well and it's a very creepy scene
1: it was horrific mm. like i don't have issues with spiders but i swear if i ever saw that thing coming at me i uh yeah yeah well i'd it, run
0: it also doesn't help with like the little mandibles are also twitching kind of thing and and it's 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 almost it transparent yeah exactly well translucent but yes it's it's creepy. I love it. Since we're talking about that scene, let's talk about Francesca Ennis, who is the widow of the web. Um, it's a small role. It's a small part. Uh, very critical to the plot line, however. But how was she for you?
1: It was, it was touching to hear her story. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see her saved. Why then did she have to stay? Like well, the, th- the thing that part is, I don't understand.
0: Okay, so let, let me explain. I, I, I love with these fantasy sci-fi movies. Like, why did this happen? Let me explain. So the reason why she was trapped by the spider, doomed for eternity to sit in that web, in that little web home, was she had a child with Yanir. And out of anger towards Yneer, she killed the child. Her punishment in doing so was to be basically isolated from the rest of the world, trapped by this giant spider, never to leave the web. So she was the widow of the web. She acted out of anger against the child. It's a little harsh.
1: It's very very harsh for a kid's movie
0: yeah and that's some yeah it's pg it's not even pg-13
1: that's some heavy content yeah but i i think
0: it's not like it was you know anything graphic we're not talking house of the dragon here you know we're not talking game of thrones you know it's but you had darker fantasy films coming out around this time like there was a stretch of them you know like legend you know, can also be considered a dark fantasy film. Um, you had The Dark Crystal. You had The Secret of Nim. You had these, you know, fantastical films that didn't shy away from uh, darkness-motivated plot lines and motivations. Like, it was a much more mature film and a much more almost seemingly mature audience for that film. But yes on violence and zero course language whatsoever um yeah it's a pg film you know it's safe for kids because they're not going to think about those kind of issues as they're watching the film they just care about big giant spider so i get it but it also shows a maturity in the writing at least at least as far as the motivations of Yanir and the widow of the web but let's move on to alan armstrong who played torquil the leader of the thieves how was he for you
1: yeah, you know what? Um, I mean, all the actors were so wonderful. Um, I, I really went into it with no expectations, so um, there was nothing glaring. But what do you think?
0: I mean, I like the fact that they didn't have the thieves as one of the, one of those you know once a thief always a thief kind of mentalities. They weren't trying to sabotage Colwyn. It's it's almost like it's a the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. So they all know. That the slayers need to be stopped they all know that the black fortress is the home of the beast they all know the scourge that now sits upon crawl and here's the new king because he's got the necklace right and he's offering them freedom he's offering them trust he's offering them you know a real life as opposed to wearing their shackles and you know knowing forever that they would be known as thieves I almost liked the nobility of Torquil. At no point was there any of this I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna let you die, I'm, I'm not gonna help you. No. No, he was along for the right. He was along to save the planet because the planet is the bigger issue and saving it from saving Kroll from the Slayers, you know, trumped any kind of malice that they may hold against the the king, you know, Colwyn's father for, for imprisoning them. But then you also have, you know, the the band of ragtag thieves, which for the most part, it's, you know, like scruffy looking nerf herders kind of thing. Yeah, I made another Star Wars reference. Sorry. But in that scruffy group of nerf herders, you had a very young Liam Neeson and a very young Robbie Coltrane. So Liam Neeson is Keegan. How was he for you?
1: He was great. He was a lot of fun.
0: I, I will say that as we're watching this film, Carrie leans over to me. She's like, "How is Liam Neeson getting better?"
1: With age? <laughs> you did. Yeah,
0: I straight up outed Sold you on this me one, out. right? For the mm, record, but
1: it's true. He's it's going true. to find
0: you, and he's going to thank you. He.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Like you would, you would tend to think that youth would be more in, endearing, but no. Nah, better with age he
0: is a he is a fine wine of a man, let me tell you <laughs> but, but I mean, like there's the thing that like you can see a swagger in keegan, you know he he's has unabashedly multiple wives, you know he's a traveling man, right like it's uh, he's a rapscallion,
1: but I think that that was perfect for him to play that role
0: oh, he's an endearing rapscallion, but but it it's not like he's. He's a lech. You know, he's not he's not like, oh, here's another town, here's another one of my No. No. He's part of the crew. He's he's you know doing something noble and trying to stop the slayers. And he does, I think, genuinely love each and every single one of his wives because he does treat them very well. Like he, he's very kind to them. He's very, very endeared to them. At least that's the that's the part of Keegan that we see.
1: It was just the forerunner to uh Sister wives. (laughs) That douche with, like, what, 20 wives?
0: Oh, yeah, and no. Traveling man. (laughs) But then you get Robbie Coltrane as Rune.
1: He was cute. (laughs) You know what? Uh, I mean, as soon as I saw him and heard him, which, by the way, if that was voiced by another actor, then wow. Yeah. Mind blown, but... He was really cute. But I wonder
0: if Robbie Coltrane's accent was a little too thick at the time. Um, But I will say this. And it's kind of funny watching this movie in hindsight, right? Because it's almost that you can see him workshopping what would become Hagrid in this role.
1: Well, I mean, he had a horrible mustache. Horrible mustache. Oh, my God could have done away with the mustache (laughs) (laughs) and a really bad haircut
0: that is 80 chic right there girl
1: like okay i'm sorry but if they're a traveling band of thieves Mm -hmm. or you know scallions or i don't know ruffians Mm -hmm. right who's who's like maintaining his due because his hair was freshly shaven mm-hmm. every scene he's in and oh. i'm like hmm, oh, yeah, i'm not he, buying it
0: he looked like he could have been like security for kid and play <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <Aww>. oh <laughs> oh hagrid um I, I don't know i don't know but i mean i know they got sharp blades so clearly they're they're doing their own haircuts there i
1: was i was so sad though when he met his demise
0: mm. Yeah, I mean... Not fair. I I will say that the characters that did die in this, you know, not the Slayers, um, but the main characters that did die, each of them, when it was their time, it felt like the right time for them to die, and it felt like a noble death for each and every one of them.
1: Except for the aged gentleman. He did nothing. He did nothing to deserve it. He was just sitting there and then, like, I don't know... Yeah. Wolverine their claw man so so
0: that was a changeling
1: <laughs> clearly
0: okay so since you were since we're there let's talk John Welsh who was the seer in this by the way this was his final film um Aww. so um and it's not a big role but it's definitely one of those I find it interesting and I, I again this is nothing against the actor this is this is more of the writing. So you have the Seer who's able to kind of see where the the Black Fortress is going to be. Um, spoiler alert, he doesn't last long. But if Ynir is supposed to be the old man from the mountain, what do they need the Seer for? It, it's an interesting take, too, when the, the Changeling comes in, kills the Seer, then basically becomes the Seer in order to be able to get Colwyn away from the group so he can try and kill Colwyn. So... Uh, it, it's it's an interesting little play in in the quest of things. It, it did feel a little overdone, like like almost another person that you didn't need to introduce, just another step along the way. But I didn't mind him in this.
1: Who was the thief that um, at one point Colin was walking with his hand on oh, that?
0: That was Torquil Alo Al Armstrong, the leader of the.
1: I just have to say. What incredible kindness. It really struck me that one scene where um, he relieved Colin and started leading mm-hmm. um, him along. You know, it was like, wow, you know, like it, until that moment, that actor had absolutely no... Um, I was he saying, wasn't on my radar at all. He was kind of like just a background... Yeah,
0: he, he well, even though he was the leader of the thieves, he, he hadn't really stood out for you at that point. Until right. that point.
1: Right, but just... Displaying that genuine kindness was was really cool. Mm-hmm. Made him stand out.
0: Two more characters I want to bring up here. Okay. The first one is David Batley as Ergo the Magnificent.
1: Oh, I love him. <laughs> Short
0: in stature, tall in power, narrow of purpose and wide of vision. How was Ergo the Magnificent for you?
1: I loved when he turned into a Beagle. <laughs> Oh, I loved when he turned into a was it tiny a little pig? Lion.
0: Oh, the tiger, yes. The tiger, yeah? Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um You know what though? He was very his character made me think Monty Python.
0: Oh my god, I think so thank God you wrote you said that because I actually have it written down here. <laughs> this,
1: I this, promise I didn't read his notes. It, it feels
0: like the role was written for Michael Palin.
1: It was. It was very... Um, it was
0: very Monty Python-esque, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I do appreciate that in a in a dark fantasy film, which this kind of wanted it to be, you need comic relief. You know, like, again, going back to Legend. By the way, uh, if you haven't listened to our Legend episode, please, by all means, go back and listen to that one. Um, you had, you know, Billy Barty as the you know, as one of the the the, the trolls and, and a little bit of comic relief there. And you need a breather. You know, otherwise it's just all all action and doom and gloom. You need you need a laugh. I mean th- this is Avengers 101 here. You need a laugh in all the action and all the doom and gloom. And Ergo the Magnificent was definitely that. Um it does. It it felt very Monty Python esque, which I find funny because the reason why apparently they had Lisette Anthony's voice overdubbed was that they felt apparently according to IMDB that an, an unknown American actress would go over better in the box office than a British actress. So that's apparently why they overdubbed her voice. I don't see why I don't, I think she was wonderful, but you know, you have a very, a very, a very British Ergo the Magnificent in this, but it fits well. It does. Uh, And then you have Bernard Breslau, who was the Cyclops. Now, first things first, the makeup for the Cyclops was so well done.
1: It was. I found myself wondering, like, where's his eyes? How does the actor see out of what would be... I guess prosthetics, the mask, I don't know. Yeah,
0: like it's it's all practical makeup, the fact that the eyes blinking and the mouth is like the cyclops looks freaking cool, right? And it it helps even more the portrayal of the cyclops by Bernard Breslau, Like a very stoic performance. Like very much I'm a solitary character doomed to to walk this world alone um being made a cyclops after a failed deal with the beast from my people like this is this is a deep character and you know goes to his fate bravely and boldly and it this is one of the reasons why this film i think stuck with me is that you had characters like the cyclops that didn't just feel like bad makeup and puppets like it's cool
1: it was well done for sure.
0: But of course, that part of that goes to the production design team. Mm-hmm. This needs to be pointed out. This film, while you may have, you know, notes about the story, the sets are phenomenal, especially like the castle set, like the set work of 80s films, like fantasy films can should be, movie makers today should be going back and watching those movies and saying, wow, the sets look great. How do we do those? Oh, I don't know. Maybe make a set rather than green screening everything. Like it, it stands the test of time, those sets and those scenes and the location shooting. And even the very cool kind of matte painting set designs that they had for the beast layer within the black fortress. Visually it's stunning. I mean, We could talk a little bit about the special effects, quote unquote, special effects, you know, the fire in the hand and stuff like that. I mean, that's the 80s.
1: The quicksand was horrific, though.
0: Right? Because, again, practical effects, Mm -hmm. right? Like, that's a whole lot of wood, saw dust and water kind of thing. Like, it's, they, when you don't have, you know, a computer to help you. You had to do it the, you know, the old-fashioned way, the real way.
1: Hence the budget.
0: Yeah, 47 million bucks in 1983. Yeah, I mean, I mean did it lose money? Yes, it did. That's why we didn't get a crawl, too, right? But the film looked phenomenal. The production team did a very good job. The productions, the, the costume, the makeup, the everything.
1: So what came first, the book or the movie based on the book? The
0: book is based on the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's you know, a novel based on the movie written by Alan Dean Foster. So, yeah, it's one of those, by the way. Um and then we get to the glaive. The glaive. The coolest thing about this movie is the glaive. That little five five-pronged ninja throwing star that you know someone made at home when they were a kid with like the popsicle sticks sharpened on the the brick wall at the school kind of thing so they had five points at the, the glaive and then they threw it and maybe stabbed a friend with it i don't know wasn't Yikes. me, wasn't me. <laughs> but i mean Ooh. in the pantheon of fantastical movie mcguffins like does the glaive stand out to you as a cool thing, or is this just, you know, uh, boys like sharp, pointy things?
1: Did they ever make a toy? I
0: don't remember if they ever made a toy glaive. And I was looking it up, and, you know, I'm sure people have made like replicas of it today kind of thing. But I mean, I remember like this was one of the coolest. I mean, the entire marketing of this film was based on the beast and the glaive like that they knew exactly what they were doing with the marketing on this, you know, the black fortress with like the beast's face kind of as the side of the fortress and the glaive, like, you know, as part of the, the title treatment, like it's, it's so cool. And maybe, maybe it's a boy thing. I don't know. Maybe it's just one of those guy things that guys want to have the weapons from the movies. He says, as he has a Darth Vader replica lightsaber at home, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty, and I guarantee you, if I had a glaive, it'd be up on the wall, not being used as a fidget spinner with really sharp pointy things.
1: I just have to add that it's not a boy thing. I have the Mace Windu lightsaber. Thank you very much.
0: And that's why I have the coolest wife. Not a boy thing. That's why I have the coolest wife. (laughs) Although, we get a glaive, it's mine.
1: I also have wands.
0: Mm, Many wands. Harry Potter wand. Yep.
1: The pointy stick. I need a Hagrid umbrella.
0: We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. We may or may not be building our house into a movie memorabilia store. I'm just saying. Um, okay, it's come time. So, Carrie, who is your MVP of 1983's Crawl?
1: I got to go with the magnificent.
0: Oh really? Yes. We're, oh, he
1: played it so well. He was so funny.
0: David Badley. He was
1: So, you know what? He was just a joy to watch. He made this movie so enjoyable, and not that the other actors didn't. Um, I really wanted to pick Mr. Robbie Coltrane. I really did, but it's his the mustache. His his character was sadly underused. I mean... Keep, I would have liked to have seen more.
0: Now, I wonder if you want to see more just because he is Hagrid. That's the thing. Yes,
1: absolutely, 1,000%, Okay, yes.
0: okay. So yep. we, we, we know where our motivations are. Yep. Okay. More Hagrid. Okay, just repeat after me. Short in stature, tall in power, narrow of purpose, and wide of vision.
1: Sorry, you wanted me to repeat that?
0: <laughs> well, that's why I have notes <laughs>
1: that
0: you clearly didn't look at.
1: <laughs> I mean, I can, I can totally appreciate the short in stature.
0: Okay. But, but yes, David Batley is Ergo the Magnificent your MVP. He was brilliant. Not my MVP. Who? My MVP, and you can probably figure this out by now from the way I've talked about him, was Freddie Jones as Yanir. The old man down from the valley, like the the Obi-Wan of the film. Like yakin yeah, Kim Marshall was good for what he did. You know, Lizette Anthony um was good in what she did, given the role that she had in the second half of the film. It's Yneer for me. It's as the guide, as the almost the driving purpose, as, as the the moral compass for Colwyn. Yanir made things happen and I think it's also the scene, too, with the Widow of the Web, right? To see the pain, to see the forgiveness, and to, you know, accept the sacrifice from his widow in order to be able to to tell Colwyn where the Black Fortress is. And his character really had a full arc, like a full, true, genuine arc. And, you know, again, Obi-Wan, right? Obi-Wan died to make sure that Luke could save the day. Yanir died to make sure that Colwyn could save the day. It is, again, the hero's journey to uh, T Carrie, thank you.
1: Wait. Uh-oh. You are not off the hook that easy, sir.
0: <laughs> I, I tried.
1: I know. <laughs> and now I'm calling you out, man. Uh-oh. Okay. Squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> the rewatch versus... A young Jason watching this movie as a child. Ugh. Go. All right. It
0: makes sense to me why this film resonated with me so much back in the day. It's fantastical. It's got cool weapons. It's got, I mean, the Slayers, you have to agree with me. The Slayers do look cool and have much better aim than Stormtroopers. They actually killed people. Um, the rewatch as my given also what I do for a living, which is I am a video editor. Um, it takes some of the magic out of it, but I still, I would put this up there with the 1980 Flash Gordon film in that.
1: Oh. Uh, Flash. <laughs>
0: uh, in that. Yes. It's a little camp. Yes, it's a little formulaic. But damn if I don't still enjoy it. Right? It's still the swashbuckling adventure that I remember as a kid. I can't unsee the bad special effects in this day and age. But because most of it is practical and because most of it is... Um, done through camera trickery as opposed to, you know, relying on, you know, bad, you know, yeah, the green screen kind of shows a little too, not going to lie, but I can overlook bad shoddy 1980s green screen. I can because the matte paintings, the set design were so well done to begin with. It looks like a 1983 film, but I still appreciate it even if I do see the flaws, but I embrace the flaws, if that makes sense. It hasn't lost its luster. I can safely say that. Am I going to go watch this every night? No. But if it's on, I'm going to sit down and watch it. And, you know, I don't know if it's the kind of movie our kids would sit down and watch.
1: Sadly, no.
0: But I also don't see it being... A movie they would beg us to turn off. You know, it'd be like, oh, you guys are doing that? Okay, you can go ahead and watch that. You know, it's it's not like they'd be coming in and seeing us watch some, you know, rom-com type films. Like, oh, they're kissing. Turn it off. Carrie, thank you so much for joining me on this trip down amnesia lane for me. Uh, By the way, if you want to watch Crawl, I don't know if it's on any streaming site, so you're going to have to find a way to watch it, but it is definitely worthwhile watching. We actually watched it because we're in Canada. It's currently on demand from Hollywood Suite. So if you can get that subscription service, by all means, definitely do that. Until next time, you guys know the drill. If there is a movie out there that is unfairly maligned or you think is so bad that there's no way in heck that we can find anything good to say about it, hit us up on Twitter at NotThatBadCast or head over to our website at NotThatBadCast.com let us know drop us a line and we will watch it we will dissect it and we will find the good things to say because we are looking for those a grades in b movies until next time she's carrie i'm jay you guys are awesome this is it's not that bad take care